You are listening to a podcast from the National. First of all, we are Palestinian, and we are in the in, in, in the Israeli occupied. This is not good for our, not just for our family, not good for the Palestinian to sell his house to the Jewish. This is Adib Jude, a Palestinian from Jerusalem who is being accused of selling his home to Israeli Jews. This is a mark of shame in a community that is being forcefully diluted through real estate transactions, discriminatory laws, and a decades-old occupation. I sell my house to businessmen. Everybody, they told us, this is an honest man. They must believe me. I didn't do anything, anything wrong. For centuries, Adib's family has had custody of the keys to Jerusalem's holy sepulchre the alleged site of the crucifixion and burial of Jesus, a role of extreme importance passed down from father to son. But Adib's prominent family name has not spared him from coming under fire for selling land that wound up in Jewish hands. This is Beyond the Headlines, and I'm Sofia Barbarani. There's a collective fear in Palestine, the fear of losing land to Jewish settlers. It dates back to at least 1948, when hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were forced off or expelled from their land because of war and the consequent declaration of the State of Israel. In July this year, Israel went one step further and passed a law declaring only Jews have the right to self-determination in the country. Today, we speak to Wilson Fash, a freelance journalist based in Jerusalem. He's been reporting for The National on the real estate battle raging in the holy city and its effect on its Arab residents. Wilson, you've been speaking to people in Israel and Palestine about the sale of Palestinian homes to Israeli Jews and the repercussions of doing this. Can you... Uh, explain to us why these transactions are such a problem. It is a great dishonor to sell his property to uh, Israelis, to Jewish Israeli. And that is because Palestinians fear that any property, any home, any land that they will sell outside of their own community uh, will further dissolve their presence in the city of Jerusalem, while at the same time bringing Israel closer, closer to an uh, undivided capital. There's sure. a a strong sense that every sale outside of the community is final. So it is still a symbolic issue because the numbers are not huge. We're not talking about thousands of properties, Palestinian properties being sold out to um, Israelis. It's a few every year, but it's enough to be very sensitive, especially in Jerusalem, where every stone, every street corner has an, an history and is highly symbolic. Um, so, yeah, that, that's why it's such a a sensitive issue. It's a sensitive issue, but it's also, it doesn't seem to be a particularly new phenomenon in that the, the Palestinian Authority has always had an aversion to these sales. However, last week, um, the Fatah party revealed that their security forces were going after East Jerusalem residents who are now suspected of selling properties to Israeli Jews. Um, why do you think that the Palestinian Authority, the PA, is clamping down on these sales now? Why have they stepped up um, this, this um, clamping down on, on sales? Well, there has been a, 
quite a few cases in recent weeks. We have had the case of the Jude family, who are really famous because they are the custodians to the keys of the church of the Eli Holy Sepulchre, the tomb of uh, Jesus Christ. Um, so that, and they are accused of uh, selling their family home to Israeli Jew in the old city of Jerusalem, and that made the headlines here because they are very important, famous Palestinian family. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's not the only case in recent weeks. We have only also seen uh, a man who died in a car crash uh, early November, and his name was uh, linked to the sale of a property to Israeli Jews. And because of a fatwa, uh, he was not allowed to be buried in uh, any Muslim Palestinian uh, cemetery in Jerusalem. He had to be buried outside. Uh, and there, is, uh, there has been another case also in recent weeks where a Palestinian-American has been arrested by the PA mm -hmm. uh, because he's suspected of selling his house. So it, it is a very timely issue. But as you mentioned, it's not a new issue. It has been going on for decades and even decades before the foundation of the State of Israel in 1948. I have actually been speaking to, uh, to Professor uh, Kenneth Stein. Uh, for this reporting, who is the director of the uh, Institute for the Study of Modern uh, Israel. And what he said is um, that uh, in the 30s, for example, there was an urgency among Arab sellers to actively seek Jewish, Jewish buyers uh, because there was a lot of um, insecurity at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, the same could be said at the, on the period after World War II. So Arabs were actually seeking out uh, Jewish buyers. And uh, you speak about this, um, you mentioned that there was a, a, there was already a sense of, of urgency to buy. Do you feel like um, post, obviously we, we know that in, in May um, there was a transferring of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and this fueled anger amongst Palestinians. Do you feel like now more than ever there's a sense of urgency among Palestinians to keep their land? from being bought by Jewish citizens? Definitely, definitely, because there is a strong sense, as a Western diplomat I interviewed told me, there is a sense that there is no way back. Once the property is sold from Palestinian to an Israeli, there is no way back, it's final. So even if we are talking about only a few properties, um, there is no way back. Which, right. which makes the, the issue very sensitive. Um, and also, at, at the time, there is also a sense that it was land purchase and it was Arab selling their land that made maybe possible the foundation of the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. um, because as some historians argue, uh, when the Zionist movement bought land from uh, Arabs in Mandate Palestine in the 20s and 30s, before the, the foundation of the state in 1948, they were able to create a nucleus for states, which became critical to Israel's early development. So there is a sense that the mistake has been made before. And of course, at the time, people, uh, Palestinians didn't know how catastrophic it could be for their home uh, territory. But now they know. There is right. no really excuse. There's no excuse really um, for for the selling of these these homes and this land now, right? In that at least in the view of the religious and political authorities, yeah, for sure. Okay, okay. Um, however, it seems like 
there are Palestinians who are doing this, who are selling their land and are selling homes. Uh, do you feel like, did you get a sense that they're kind of, they're feeling forced to sell this land for financial reasons? Or uh, what's what's the main reason that you picked up on as to why these um, mm-hmm. Palestinians are selling their land? Well, there is different reasons. Uh, there is a whole context to it, obviously, in, uh, especially in Jerusalem. Uh, in East Jerusalem, there is a lot of pressure on Palestinians. It's not easy to be a Palestinian living on uh, in East Jerusalem. Sure. Uh, there is a lot of pressure from the Israelis. So that might be a, f- a factor that makes some families want to live. Uh, and obviously, money is a huge factor. Mm-hmm. I have interviewed a man called Aryeh King. He's the director of the Israel Land Fund, which, which is one of those organizations uh, which are aiming at establish Jewish settlements in the occupied territory to purchase the purchase of um, land and properties. And what that man, Aryeh King, told me is that general, sometimes they buy the properties 10 or 15 percent above market price. And when we're talking about millions of, sh- of shekels or even millions of dollars, that is a big difference. And that's what he said. 10 percent can make the difference. It's all about the money. And obviously, uh, he knows that the his sellers are afraid they might get killed. They might have to flee. They might get threatened. So he says he protects them and he protects their identity. And sometimes he uses uh, Arab's middlemen uh, to buy the property and blur the tracks and facilitate the sale. Uh, he even told me that at the, some Palestinians, they say, OK, we will sell the land, but then you have to give us the option to leave Israel and maybe go to Canada or the US or Europe. And so his organizations, apparently, so he says, so he claims, help them in the immigration process. And for him, of course, it's, as he says, killing two birds with one stone, because on the one hand, he buried the lands, and at the same time, he takes an Arab for Muslim out of Israel, as he says, which is for him fantastic. So you mentioned that you spoke to um, the Israel Land Fund, um, an organization whose aim is, and I quote, um, to reclaim the land of Israel for the people of Israel, house by house, lot by lot. The Israel Land Fund is ensuring the land of Israel stays in the hands of the Jewish people forever. Let's have a listen to Ari King's audio. Some Arabs, they know that they are being, might be threatened. So they say, okay, uh, give us also the option to, to leave Israel. We help them with the immigration. So from my point of view, it's like two birds with one stone. We, we buy a land and we also take one Arab out or Muslim out of Israel. It's fantastic for me. In Jerusalem, the municipality explicitly states there needs to be a Jewish majority in the city. Could you tell us how this discriminatory policy plays out on a day-to-day basis, if at all? Well, the differences you can see is, for example, in uh, East Jerusalem, where you have uh, Jewish settlers coming in to live among Palestinians. And to do that, they will bring in uh, Israeli soldiers and uh, Israeli police, which uh, local Palestinians living in their own neighborhoods say can be uh, violent and very o- oppressive. So when Jewish settlers come in occupied territory, they don't come alone. Uh, however, within Jerusalem proper, um, the segregation, if you can use that word, is not 
always that visible. It is, however, if you go to very near and a few kilometers away at the Kalanja checkpoint, for example, which uh, is one of the main checkpoints between the West Bank and East Jerusalem, which is controlled by the Israeli army. And, the, and there you have every day hundreds of Palestinians from the West Bank who need to go work in Jerusalem and sometimes have to wait hours in line to get to the, the checkpoint. And some cannot at all uh, because they don't have the permits, which is delivered by um, the, the the Israelis. Uh, even some families who used to live in Jerusalem and don't have that permit anymore cannot go to Jerusalem again, which will never happen to a Jewish Israeli. And you also spoke to um, Omar Shakir. He's the Human Rights Watch director for Israel and Palestine. He touched on the existence of a mandate that ensures this Jewish supremacy, um, a mandate that seems to create a societal structure that is not too dissimilar from South Africa's apartheid. Uh, let's have a listen to what Omar had to say. Israel for decades now has pursued a policy that fundamentally is driven by a desire to maintain a Jewish majority and really a demographic-driven agenda that's dictated their policy. So in Jerusalem, for example, the municipality explicitly sets out in the municipal plan the objective of maintaining a Jewish majority in the city. It's written into city planning documents. And it's not unique to Jerusalem. If you look in the Negev, if you look in the Galilee, they're very clearly articulate um, plans um, that, that envision the Judaization of these areas. Of course, the na Jewish nation-state law, which passed in July, sets out Jewish settlement as a matter of constitutional mandate, ensuring uh, Jewish supremacy over non-Jews um, in Israel proper and, of course, in the West Bank. Uh, there's no way to understand the reality here without understanding that it's based on a two-tier discriminatory system that provides preferential treatment to Jewish settlers. Uh, settlers um, at the expense of Palestinians. So, of course, the issue of uh, the specific issue of property being sold by Palestinians to Israeli is a part of this larger picture is one of the different steps that's undertaken by um, a set of organizations, the government, etc., that is driven by an agenda to control the land and control demographics. And finally, Wilson, do you envision a um, harsher penalty by the Palestinian Authority for Palestinians who continue to sell to Jewish citizens? Well, there is so much the PA can do because according to Israeli law, they are not allowed to operate within uh, Jerusalem. Uh, and Jerusalem obviously is the most contentious area where this uh, land purchase and selling is, uh, is happening. Um, what seems to be effective, or uh, uh, at least they're trying to do, is the religious authorities issuing fatwas against uh, Palestinians selling the land to Jewish uh, Israelis. Uh, recently, again, after the whole controversy surrounding the Jude family, the custodians to the, the Church uh, of the Tomb of Jesus Christ, uh, they have reissued a statement saying that they condemned these uh, operations and that it's a uh, high tre treason. Uh, so these, those things they try to do, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the PA has been uh, arresting an American Palestinian man on sus suspicion of selling his house to a Jewish uh, Israeli. Uh, but there is, again, so much they can do, even though, according to Palestinian law, it is an offense punishable by death. Uh, even though uh, Mahmoud Abbas, since uh, taking power, um, didn't uh, allow for an execution to happen. But... Theoretically, it is death penalty.
That was Wilson Fash. Read his full story on our website, thenational.ae. Thanks to Wilson for joining us from Jerusalem and for sending us the audio of the voices you heard throughout the show. Subscribe to Beyond the Headlines for the National's weekly insights on the Middle East. Find us at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. I've been your host, Sofia Barbarani. Join us again next week. <laughs>